opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. The podcast is on the air for this Saturday night, November 14th, 2020. This is episode 28 of the Anime Roundtable version 2.0. Just a reminder, if you have anything to say to us, say it. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com is our email address. Twitter and Instagram at AnimeRoundtable. AnimeRoundtable.com is our website with show notes, links, and past episodes. And we're always looking for reviews, so please give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. And we're looking for five stars. Only three of us around the virtual table this week. Mike Nicholas here at Six Points in the Toronto West End, about 10 minutes south of the Anime North Junction. James Austin and Kevin Ng in the western suburbs. Mohamed Shamarki is off this week. We'll talk to him next episode. In what is now the 20th recording of the Pandemic series, when you add up the digests, the regular episodes, the specials, and the short on my minds that I've done. This is the 20th recording since the pandemic began. With that in mind, maybe we should do a pandemic update. And it's... We thought earlier this year there was a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel during the summer. And then (laughs) history is always... It's generally right. History, if you're to believe it, dictated that when a second wave of these things happen, they're generally worse. And history tends to be proven right more often than not. We are very much in a second wave, I think the world is. So what's our version of worse here in the GTA, in the Toronto area, southern Ontario? Most of the Toronto area and the outlying regions are now in what's referred to as the red zone. Ontario kind of rejigged their alert system when it comes to COVID. It's a five-point system. And we're in the red zone, which is one step short of a total lockdown. Cases have been on the rise and... For pretty much this week, every day has been a provincial best, I guess, for a number of cases per day. And today was no exception, a new record getting over the 1,500 mark in terms of new cases in this province. I believe you mean provincial worst, Mike. As Donald Trump would say, can't sense sarcasm, can you? (laughs) But yeah, that's where we are right now. And it's not getting any better. Authorities have suggested to many here in the province to limit your visits, limit going out, go out for bare essentials like food, maybe if you want, take out. Most restaurants in this area are close to indoor dining. But as I said, takeout is still available. Of course, the whole idea of social bubbles, well, those have popped. The government is suggesting don't visit anybody, at least extensively. Certainly don't go inside. 
So no more social gatherings, which might be a little hard this weekend because it's Diwali. And you guys, I know, just mentioned a couple stories. I, I, I know I heard fireworks outside of my place earlier. Kevin, you mentioned to me before we came on the air that you saw lineups at fireworks shops. Yes. <laughs> well, that's our version of it in our little part of the world, at least the quick version. Well, I'm sure those lineups, uh, Kevin, paled in comparison to the lineups for the technology that released this week. Well, we'll talk about that for sure a little later on in terms of what's come out and what's to look forward to a little later on. And many of those people probably lined up for nothing. Yeah, no, I know, because PlayStation across the board, I think it was on their blog for all regions, said we're only going to be sending this out uh, online and stuff like that. Or if no, you, we're going to go and pick it up in store. It's all online ordering there. And then what you could pick it up, I guess. Like, but you can't. Shouldn't and be I saw up. some stores when I went to one store because I was picking something else up. They had a sign saying, if you're looking to pick up a PS5, you're out of luck. Your only remote chance was EB Games if somebody canceled their walk-in pre-order beforehand. And even then, it would probably would have been one or two consoles at most. Per store or the, through the entire chain? Just per store. Like, you Depends never know, right? Maybe somebody canceled the pre-order for whatever reason, and then they would have just had that extra console. But otherwise, mm -hmm. yeah, there was no point in lining up. And if you didn't have a pre-order already. Okay. You know what? Let's uh, save the talk on the video game world for the second segment. A bit later on. It's been two weeks, of course. Basically, we're doing our other shows bi-weekly these days. So since the Halloween episode, we've brought out the Kimigore Earned Road interview with Kat Callahan. That's been out for a couple of weeks now. If there's anything you guys want to mention concerning that, any comments concerning that from you two, if you two have heard it? I enjoyed, I enjoyed how you and Kat discussed the characters you guys did like an in-depth discussion on the characters, and that was a treat to listen to. Kat certainly had it, had it all thought out. I have to give her credit. She's given a lot of thought to that series over the years. And she, obviously in the interview, she hinted how much of that she played off of Matsumoto himself when they met all those years ago. And... I think she got some confirmation over her feelings concerning the characters, which I found kind of hilarious. But yeah, she's as big a fan as you're going to see for Kimigori Orange Road. So that was a treat to have talked to her, especially considering the timing. She was the perfect person to talk to on the subject. She was perfect for the ANN article, too, and she mentioned that, I think, in the interview. James, do you have a thought? Or you haven't I, heard it, have you? 
I have actually not heard it because I've been busy. So it's yes. like I'm going to find some time to fit it into my schedule. It's like one of those things, right? Life comes at us hard some days. You've had a pretty busy week. You know what also interested me? When Kat talked about how Matsumoto told that fan at Katsukon that Hikaru, is it Hikaru was the name? The other girl? Yeah. Yeah, Hikaru. How there was just no more story about her in his mind. I thought, yep, he shipped Monoko, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He personally ships Madoka. <laughs> That's kind of an interesting way to put it. <laughs> kind of a sad way to put it, maybe. <laughs> I'm like, poor Hikaru. <laughs> well, I think when you think about the story, everyone has that sympathy for her. Even if some of it was her own doing. And obviously we discussed that in the episode. How much of that is of her own doing, right? It reminds me of how in Eyes, and this is a spoiler for Eyes, I'll leave a brief pause. So in Eyes, Itsuki, who is the other girl in that threesome, just mm. ups and disappears by volume six or seven. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And we only hear from her in passing each time, right? Or yeah, by a, by a letter. Because, you know, technology wasn't that great back then. Because ultimately, in Eyes, it's just like how in Kimaguri Orange Road, it's a story between Iori and... Oh, sorry. Yep. Yes. I forgot Ikaru, his right? name because no one ever remembers the name of the guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> as the male reader, you're supposed to self-insert yourself in Ichitaka or... Kitaro shoes or whatever. <laughs> or Ise or you know, whatever flavor of the week. Militosk male protagonist. But you are in a bad you're in a bad mood today, aren't you? I'm not actually. I had a good day today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what else is there to mention then? Now, after all that other Kimigori Orange Road stuff actually settled in and finally finished up watching Cardcaptor Sakura Clear Card. I looked in, in my watch logs and I realized there was a point where it was like two months between watching of episodes in that series. Because suddenly all my focus ended up on other things. Reading Kimigoro and Road, reading Pure Invention, because we want to talk a little bit more at length about those. Playing the two Yakuza games. And I haven't gotten around to even loading Yakuza Kiwami 2, maybe because I want to twitch some of it this time. Oh, when we get around to that. Interesting. Of course, I have to learn, because, you know, at my advanced age, I kind of have to learn a few new things concerning that. But that's my. Uh, plan when i start playing that game so uh when when we're ready to talk more about it i'll mention to the listeners how many of you are there uh, the twitch stream because that's uh, in the plans i guess in some form we plan to 
utilize Twitch and other streaming forms. Did you uh, see, Mike, that this weekend, and so it's probably not going to be there, but it's like Sega is a part of their 60th anniversary, have been doing different small little events online, and some of it's been releasing these kind of fan-like games of games they've released before. So this weekend on Steam, they release a Yakuza-inspired beat-em-up based on uh, the Streets of Rage series. Yeah, so it's like Yakuza, plays the Streets of Rage, but it's... Yeah, that's been on Steam. They Actually, they took that off because it was meant to be a limited-time thing, and then it's back on again for, I don't know how long This it weekend, is. I feel like. I think only this weekend? So it's limited time. I think it it's is just this one, but it's it's a fun little romp to go through. Mm-hmm. But it's fun. They did. There was I forget which other one they did, where it was a demo of what they a game they wanted. Oh, it was Golden Axe. They were trying to reboot Golden Axe, and they had the demo of that that they released wow. for a bit. Well, but it's just fun little things they've been doing for their uh, celebrate their heritage. Yes, their sixtieth, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they had the commercials too, right? Of uh, Sagan uh, Satoro, like his uh, the actor's actual son plays yes. uh, yeah. the role of his son, his fictional son too. It's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a legendary campaign from what I remember. Yeah, for the Sega Saturn. But, you know, yeah. happy birthday to Sega, and we pray for many more. We'll save that for the second segment too. Well, that one I think you're thinking too far ahead because that one's been going around for years and years. It's not going to happen even though uh, they had one part of the business sold uh, this week. Or well, this that's what I heard about, talk, too. Yes, let's talk about that a bit later. It's but okay. Sega will be okay later. because they still got the furries behind them. We'll talk a little bit more about them in the second segment. Well, we should get to the main idea of the first segment, though, shouldn't we? Actually, this was a very, very badly planned out episode. We were looking for ideas of stuff to talk about. And then, well, James is always good at finding these odd little articles. And usually they're related to themes we've already talked about on the show. But we get another angle concerning it. And James, nice work this morning. Well, it was this week. I, I saw it earlier on, and I meant to send it to you, but I was so busy. But it was oh. an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Wired.com released a story this week where Cecilia D'Anastasio interviewed Taki Sakurai from Netflix Japan. Sakurai is the company's chief anime producer. And he's held the job since 2017, and they had a really enlightening interview about Netflix and their plans when it comes to anime. And Sakurai, by and large, has been kind of surprised with some of what Netflix is thinking. Uh, James, do you want to elaborate on this one for a bit, for a couple minutes? I mean, I, I read the article. It's a good read, and maybe we'll talk about points that stuck out to me we've talked about a few of it like i think for sakurai he has mentioned other interviews but it's always interesting to hear that he had reservations about working for netflix because he's like okay i've seen what they've done 
but are these guys that are coming to me and saying, okay, we're going to give you carte blanche to basically go out and get this anime and create this anime for us, no strings attached, is that really going to happen? And then when he finally, I guess, accepted whatever made him give that push, he finally did it and was working for them and said, oh, they're actually letting me do this without any hesitation. Because some people are thinking, okay, they're just going to get some of the major shonen stuff and then be done and wash their hands with it. You know what I mean? But they've definitely, and we talked about last time with their new uh, upcoming releases for the next year, they've had a lot of different series. And they talk about that here too, but they also talk about the slant that it's not the typical stuff you'll see on Funimation or Crunchyroll where it is the slice of life series or stuff like that. Like there's a lot more action. There's a lot more of an science international fiction. flavor, science fiction, stuff like that. They talked about Carol and Tuesday. They talked about the great pretender. And remember how I said it has that oceans 11 vibe, how it's going all over the world and stuff like that. It's not always centered on Japan. And so there's some of that reaching maybe a bigger market in a way. It's a double-edged sword to want to be a little bit more international, less Japanese-like. That's been some of the hook over the past couple decades for international anime fans. They like the Japanese part of it. And they talk about that too, don't they? Like they talked about, they talked to Colin Decker, who took over from Gen at Funimation. So he's the general manager of running Funimation, the Funimation division for uh, Sony. And he talked about in that same light that that's what we as the Western audience, a lot of people came to anime for was that difference in the Japanese culture and stuff like that. And so it's like, what's going on when you do it the other way? And I think it can work because they talk about later about they're giving them the money with no strings attached and the creative freedom. And a lot of them have not really had that before. You know what I mean? Yeah. We joked around about, not really joked, but the whole, what is it, the production committees having maybe a lot of power, more power than they should, and then production houses themselves, they had mixed feelings about Netflix, or, or, or more like mixed feelings about the limited number of options they have. But this... The article, to me, makes it sound like there's an upside to this, at least to the Netflix side of it. Yeah, so they talk about, as they said, that they can have whatever they want. And they have went in other different directions. They have done ones that are based on actual properties. We talked about Therme Roman, and we did talk about uh, House Husband, of course. Mm -hmm. And that's a very Japanese one. Yeah, and Baki, the shonen and more shonen stuff. Yes, of course, that works. It's anime for guys who like anime. It, it, it's mo- it, Some of it is a lot of macho stuff. Not all of it. That's true, granted. But I guess some of it they think about, they might think about binge. But they probably also think, as they said, there's no commercial breaks. This merchandise sales aren't really the end goal, as uh, Sakurai talks about even though he says, yeah, we can do that. So they're not tied down with all these other factors because remember, sometimes they're thinking about the pillars. It's like, okay, we got to get the manga. We got to get the merch. We got to get the game. We got to get the anime all out in this planned release window, right? You know what I mean? 
you brought up two interesting points, and I'm and now my thoughts are all anecdotal. Yes, the whole broadcasting, and they mentioned in the article, an anime is exactly twenty minutes or something like that, and then twenty-three minutes that. about yeah, twenty-three. Minutes. And then they do that just to be able to fit in the commercials and all the stuff that goes around it. Yeah, and they slot in the plot so that they can insert the commercials perfectly. That's you're not hamstrung by that when it comes to streaming services. So episodes can be of varying length. We learned that when we watched Terrace House on the topic of just generally speaking, Netflix Japan. And maybe in some ways that's sort of what it's like for us as podcasters. We can tell our narrative a lot better because we're not hamstrung by any time constraints. We're not, we don't have to be done at the top of the hour. Although, you know, we want to keep this episode a little shorter. That's one point. What was the other point that you just brought up? I forgot now. I talked about uh, how we they have the pillars the that they're trying to release in the release window where we're talking about other things like video games, merchandise, manga, yes. and then the anime and how it all ties together. Okay. And even music, that's the other thing I was going to think. I forgot to mention music, and that's an interesting thing on the streaming because some of them are doing things that the North American and probably even the Western market have done where they've got rid of, you know, how they go straight through the credits or they just cut the opening and just have the title of the show. So some of that could be a possibility and that could affect people on the music side because remember they sell that stuff for concerts and everything else. Well, let's go to the technological stuff a little bit later on the merchandise. Let's talk anecdotally again. Because you made me realize that when you said that, and when that point came up in the article, I just mentioned I finished watching Card Captor Sakura Clear Card. Spoiler alert! Can we count that down? Three, two, one. Everyone dies. <laughs> Way to go! Actually, I thought they got married at the end. Homeo and Sakura, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure that's in the fan fictions. If you watched Card Capture Sakura Clear Card, you would know that the anime pretty much ends on an almost cliffhanger. And it's clear that there's more story to be told. To this point, there's no indication that they're going to make any more of the animated series. Because that's been out for two years, and there's no indication that there's any more to come. But the manga's ongoing. I mean, anime, we've always said over the years, is an advertisement for something else. This one was pretty in your face. More of the story, you just have to read up on it. That's what I'm thinking here. Back to the music point, though. Netflix usually gives you the option in a lot of shows to skip the opening credits, right? I you think know, it's you the know. ending credits more likely because they Good switch both. to the next episode. Oh, there's there's options for both, yes. Mm-hmm. And broadcast television for a time actually experimented with it too. Well, to some degree they still are. Where I mean, they put have... like the ads, right? And the ads are bigger than the actual credits and like they're just right through. So it's like you don't like get to that. see who created the show, you know what I mean? And that's. Or conversely, at the very beginning of episodes, they don't have much of an intro. 
No theme song sometimes. Yeah, it's just the title card, as I just said. the title card. That's it. And then, and then as the plot or the episode is starting to play out, crawling on the bottom of the screen, the opening credits starring so-and-so, executive producer, so-and-so, director, guest. Guest show, yeah, special yeah. guests, etc. Even there was this point briefly that even the Tonight Show, pre-pandemic, for a little while, experimented with not going through that whole opening sequence, right? Their whole opening titles, hearing, you know, the roots playing that. I guess people will find it a catchy theme song. It is to some degree. And showing the, the Spike Lee directed opening because he actually directed the opening sequence for The Tonight Show, which showed Jimmy Fallon walking around downtown Manhattan at night. Spike Lee. Spike Lee directed that. But then there was this period, I, I think it was roughly six months to a year. It just started with the curtain. And Higgins, the announcer, just introducing Fallon to the crowd. And that's it. How much of an opening. And they said they did it because they wanted to emulate that feeling you get on Netflix, where you have the option to just press a button and skip the intro and get right to the episode. Sometimes the theme song just gets you in the mood, though. So the experiment didn't last long. They brought back the full opening theme at some point just before the pandemic. That's where we are now. Did I break your train of thought, James? I'm sorry about that. No, you didn't break my train of thought. Yeah, you think about it, and some of them are going back to the full um, opening credits and stuff like that. And I know they talked about it in HBO, because remember HBO and a lot of those specialty channels have the same thing, but some of them are going back to having those opening credits and some of them talk about game of thrones being one because that just became an iconic part of the show you know what i mean oh that theme song, that theme song oh, that yeah. was cool the, the theme song the they theme created song. it and the visuals and everything mm -hmm. and they could have just done and put a title card and be done with it but they brought back that element that some people are thinking hey we can still have that you know what i mean and it became a and the song became a pretty much a single on its own right yeah, so maybe, hopefully, maybe we can reverse course because I don't mind like openings and endings, even though some people it's like, okay, that's taking time out. So people were finding ways where to put cram commercials in because they were trying to make that ad money, right? Well, yeah, but then HBO is commercial free. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm talking more regular uh, TV regular on TV. that end when they were doing it before. So. Well, yeah, I mean, you have, well, CBS is experimenting with doing reboots of their shows. They did, they did Hawaii Five-0, brought back the old theme song. They did Magnum MacGyver. Yeah, brought back the old theme song. Yeah, MacGyver. I can't remember, did they bring back the theme song I, for MacGyver? Yeah, that's one show I don't pay attention to. But the other two, you were correct. They brought back the old theme songs, yeah. And going back to HBO, just for reference, the guy who, who composed the opening theme to Game of Thrones, he also composed the theme to Westworld as well. Yeah, Westworld that's was a, a good one too. That's yeah. a pretty interesting theme song. Show the show too. I've seen the odd scene from that, and I know about the basic plot. Oh yeah, and then there's last week tonight, which has that pretty up upbeat opening and title sequence as well with John Oliver. 
So in, to some degree, maybe we're coming back to it. You hope. Anime never really lost it. Because, once again, it comes back to what you talked about. Sometimes you're promoting the music as well. Well, it's a part of that ecosystem, as I was saying, where they have this ecosystem with the production committee where maybe one of them fails, but if like three of them can be good enough, then they can make that back their money. It doesn't have to be like the anime, the manga, the video game, the music, whatever, the merch. Like they, If they can make their money ways back somehow, they will uh, do it, even if one of them fails. And you never know where that's going to be sometimes. Well, yeah, put, put your money in a bunch of places, right? Put that your effort in a bunch of places and maybe if one, yeah, you're right. If one part fails, then if something else succeeds, that helps. I mean, Sony kind of helped themselves, I guess. I don't know if, like, when we think of Sony, remember, at a point they started putting in their musical artists featuring prominently in a lot of their shows, right? Even though the music, the anime music soundtrack is a very specific thing. 90 second opening. You have to make a song that works as a 90 second beat. Or you have the voice uh, actresses or actors. They sometimes do the songs and stuff like that too. So that becomes a part of their uh, business and stuff like that. You know what I mean? That they can sing and Mm -hmm. make extra revenue and stuff like that. So you have some of that too. There's no guarantee for those voice actors and actresses beyond seeing the and they do a lot more than stuff. just acting a lot now. So, yes. Yeah. Yep. They're, get, it, they're getting a little bit more multi-talented. It's just, in many respects, they're separate types of music acts. They're not pure music acts. They're just, they're music acts that have that, that anime association. Mm-hmm. And they become stars based strictly on that. And this is not to say this is a bad thing. Because that's just the way we are now. It's how Nana Mizuki became as big as she did. Oh, she made news this week, too. Yeah. She's expecting, right? Yep. Congratulations, Omedetto. Prayers for a safe birth. Yeah, and she's still she's still a thing and Ooh, when yeah. it comes to the anime world. In no, terms she of the said anime, that. Anime yeah, she's and looking anime. forward. She, yeah. I'm she's, pretty sure she's performed at Budokan, so that's mm-hmm. when you know you're she, big. They say... They saved a, a special segment for her during the Songs of Tokyo Festival, too. I think it was in episode episode three, maybe. But they saved a special segment for her. Like I said, I've been out for a, some years, and when I returned, I kept hearing about her. Yeah, she's a thing, isn't she? Oh, yeah. Has she appeared in Toronto? Just jog my memory, Kevin. I don't know. so. I don't you think can, so. Yeah. No. no yeah, I thought hasn't. so. Yeah. That would that would that would not go over well. That would be. I feel like we would have known. Me and Kevin. That's somehow yeah. Would've... Yes. For one thing, yes, and that might be more trouble than it's worth, too. Why do you say that? She might be the single biggest name when it comes to any song, right? Her popularity is on another level when it comes to the genre oh lisa's giving her a run for her money gotta say these days yeah, yeah and she was she, she, she was featured in in a past version of songs of tokyo as well that's right lisa's another big game right now oh yeah and that demon slayer song just hits so hard with people <laughs> it is well, a good song too. Supposedly hitting really hard uh, now it's the seventh uh, biggest box office movie this year yeah okay let's we should 
Okay, a quick aside on Demon Slayer, yeah. Um, and we talked about that in terms of, well, is it such a great idea for within the pandemic era to do that? Yeah, well... It's doing fine, I guess. And that's just Japan and Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed so, to say that word there on there, Mike, or do you think they'll come after us? Who's listening? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's go back to the article just for a couple seconds here. Actually, there was two things I was thinking about too, Mike, that are interesting that you might think about. Remember we were talking about them giving them that power. And so it was funny in the article, Sakurai mentions that one of his preconceptions too was that Netflix was driven by data and stuff like that. And they say, okay, we know who our customers are. So this is how we're going to create the show and how he said it isn't exactly that way in that they can give the creator the data. And then if they want to use that data to help their story and characters, they can do that, but they don't navigate or suggest them to do that. And then the other part was hooking them up with other people across the world. So he talks about wanting to introduce Japanese creators, writers, animators to other people, like he mentioned, Japanese writers to Australian directors, Canadian writers to Japanese manga artists or so on and so forth. And he said that some of the people in Japan were like, well, how do we make those contacts? And that was a scary thing to them because they thought they'd have to go through an agent and it'd be a cumbersome process. So they were thinking we can do that without the hassle, which would be interesting. I was thinking about that in terms of the one we talked about. Well, actually, we might not have talked about, but Cyber Six. And remember, that was a co-production between TMS in Japan and uh, Canada and Teletoon that. I forget the fellow's name on the Canadian side, but Canadian writers, we had all the acting done in Vancouver, but the animation that was done in Japan. Oh, I miss Cyber 6. But think about that. You could have like something like that show up on Netflix, and that can only be a great thing. I'd love to see co-pros like that again. You know what I mean? Hmm. That well, would be great. But once again, it comes back to the dilemma. How Japanese is it? Because that's the hook for some people. But then again, remember, Japan's pop culture has been fed by outside influences, Western influences. So it's cyclical in some ways. We sort of learned that in the pure, in pure invention, right? And we were talking about that with Tezuka and stuff, I think the previous episode, in relation to pure invention again, of course, with Disney and Tezuka and that relationship. What's wrong with this? Maybe nothing. It's just the way it's evolved. It's just maybe the next step in all of this. Oh, there's one other point that also grabbed me in that article. And may may say a lot about Netflix's own motivations. It's this number. Three million. That's the number of subscribers in Japan of 195 million subscribers, 3 million only. Mm. Not even, not even, barely a percent. But I feel like that's impressive in a way because they still haven't been in that market that long in my mind. You know what I mean? Barely three, four years, right? And the other thing is, I think it's harder to navigate that streaming market in places like Japan because... I just don't know. I, I'm not sure how it's been doing compared to other parts of the world. And there are other players there that we don't know. You know what I mean? 
sometimes domestically based and then sometimes it's the mentality. And I'm thinking the mentality is in yeah. my mind. I but I yeah, feel like I'm overthinking it when I say I, the mentality. You know what I mean? And when I say that, and I expect to be corrected, because sometimes what the hell do I know? But they love their physical media. And in some ways, for as technologically advanced as we say Japan can be, when it comes to that in their day-to-day lives, and the most basic of their day-to-day lives, like work, in a lot of respects, they're behind. And sometimes, and that's not necessarily technologically, it's culturally too. In this pandemic, in this pandemic, there you don't see as much a culture of working from home in Japan. Nope. I know that the new prime minister, Yoshihide Suga, who came in a month or so ago, he actually, I think, has made a cabinet post to try and address that issue. Right? You, 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 you hear about Kuro, Kuroshi, death by work, death by overwork. Oh, it takes on a new meaning in, in the pandemic. And they're trying to address that. And I think that part of that is culturally. It's not as much technologically. They have that. We know they have that. But sometimes they can't put that together, right? Sometimes they just cannot put that together because of the way their mentality tends to be. I guess the other thing you think about culturally, there's certain things that it takes time to get over. And one of them is, remember, where if you have finished your work for the day and stuff like that, normally we would just go home, right? But a <laughs> lot of the time in Japan, they don't go home because... They don't want to be seen as falling behind or leaving the team behind because remember, it's a collective society and that's some of the things they have to get away from because then they're still doing work or they're doing other things when they could be going home and stuff like that. Or uh, when you... Good, even though individually it's hurting them. Yeah, it's that and the fact that, oh, I can't leave until my boss leaves. And if my boss is OTing up the ass, then, well, shit, I'm there until 10 p.m., and that boss may be doing it because they're trying to do it so it affects everyone else down the line. That's the other thing, too, depending where you work, right? So. I, mean, I, get, I get it with the work culture thing, and it's good in one sense. Good for business, not good for the home. Once again, it comes back down to that mentality about truly keeping work and home separate, but to a real fault. As I said, death by overwork. And... It comes at the co- at a cost, at a personal cost, if not a total cost. That's what they sort of have to get over. So there's, like, we 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 paint Japan to be a you know a, a really fascinating place, and it is. Just don't think it's perfect. There's issues, lots of issues there. For better or for worse, it's fascinating. Yes, that is true. Through anime, we are painted a picture. Sometimes it's sanitized. Through all fiction, what we read about, it's sanitized. Let's be honest. And then there are certain things. Remember how there are books people read and people talk to when they're doing business with people in other countries. And Japan is one of those countries where you have to watch how you uh, act 
and interact with them because you have to act with a certain respect in how people are seated at a meeting table, how people are seated at when they go out for a dinner or a meeting or to uh, an izukaya and stuff like that based on their seniority and all this stuff. Like there's so many minor things that could trip you up and they just need to relax about as some people I've talked to have said. Versions of that we see everywhere. These type of cultural things we see in every culture. My point is the etiquette. Yeah, it's basically, yeah, the etiquette is, you see a lot of that. And there, there's, there's specific things when it comes to Japanese etiquette. In my occupation, there's specific things when it comes to Chinese etiquette. Hmm. Like, I've gotten crash courses on that, or at least been told to read up on it, right? Which is fair. Maybe not what I'm used to. But I get it. You respect it. No, I was, was going to say it's tough, right? Because it's like our etiquette that we've developed and stuff like that and interact with people. We think, okay, we're doing all right. And then you go somewhere else and then you realize you've just embarrassed yourself. And you're like, well, that just happened. So it's like you never win, right? Nope. Just don't act like a jerk, I guess. That's the key thing. You can be a little clumsy, but don't act like an ass. All you can do is be respectful and act sincere and hopefully as they will be understanding and stuff like that. And you can go from there and it's a learning experience for everyone. That's as I always say. Mm -hmm. So any final takeaway from this article though? I mean, we're going to put it up for sure. Apparently you, you may or may not need a subscription to read it, but it's there for now. You know, it, it was, it was interesting to read up on this article, I have to say, because I gave it a quick read before we started the episode, and Same here. I think like, when it comes to the whole like Japanese culture thing and how they they want to make anime less Japanese, I don't particularly see that as a bad thing. Because if you want all your stereotypical Japanese tropes, there are plenty of other shows for you to have that. And to consume it. And you know it made me think about when. I first started watching anime. Like not everything. Was. So inundated. In Japanese culture. Like I think of when. I watched Witch Hunter Robin. On YTV. Or Wolf's Reign. Through fan subs. Those weren't necessarily air quotes, Japanese culturally. Neither was Cowboy Bebop. Neither was Samurai Champloo. Neither was Last Exile. Neither was Gunsword or Black Lagoon. But, you know, to be honest, I would watch stuff like Love, Hina, and, I know, whatever thing that takes place in reality. And, yes, you have those Japanese customs and norms that show up, so... I guess I can kind of see why people may be worried that Netflix is not wanting to have, uh, they want to have more of an international frame of mind, but eh, I don't think it's a big deal. I think it's a bit of give and take too, because as we talked about before is some of the creators are getting that money with basically no strings attached to a degree. And basically, it's like, okay, 
what it, they're thinking about more international because it's like, oh, this is Netflix. We, we're going to go for a bigger audience. And so they're thinking that way too, where they may have preconceptions stuff saying, okay, maybe we should go sci-fi or maybe more international and stuff like that. But we'll see as it develops because I'm sure we'll see more uh, interesting things as we go along and we'll see how other things perform. I'm sure House Husband will do well for them and then we'll see other careers saying, okay, maybe we can do some different things in this type of genre. You know what I mean? In the more shoujo or more slice of life, a new spin on it. Yeah, they say that there are shows targeted to women in the works. But yeah, I would want to see more of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I know there's seven seeds, but I heard that adaptation is not very good. Seven Seeds fans are generally not approving. Like, Seven Seeds fans do not like the anime. Can't win them all. Unfortunately. And there's been a giant lack of shoujo anime as of late. Hmm. Mm -hmm. It really has. Like, the last one, the last big one I can think of is Anonymous Noise. Okay. Well, as I said, I can't say I'm aware. Always. I will say this much, and this is my my last thought. Two things. One, we got to always keep in mind, anime is not a genre. It's a medium. It's a medium. And within it, you can do a lot of things. Anything. You can present any type of story through it. And I guess... It's not hamstrung to a certain age group, a certain type. In other parts of the world, maybe that might have been the case. Once again, that's a reference to a passage in Pure Invention. So that's worth keeping in mind. So so in many ways, maybe producers feel okay with this because that's sort of how they want to explore and go beyond their own horizons, so to speak. And then you brought up, an, and then uh, to end it off, you brought up one title that will be tied to Netflix also for better or worse. And that's Cowboy Bebop. You had to mention Cowboy Bebop in this talk, talk about Netflix. And obviously we're going to see that sometime in the next year or two, or depending on how long this pandemic goes, in some other form, and we're really going to see what happens when you with a new interpretation. So, I, I wonder how Netflix will advertise that in the realm of their all their other stuff. It's worth mentioning just just quickly, and before we end it off, the other thing that I'm I've started watching since all finishing all my assignments is I decided to continue watching the latest season or the most recent season of Tokyo Stories Midnight Diner. And rather quietly, earlier this year, Netflix got the streaming rights to show the original three seasons of it, although it's just known under another uh, under its original name, just Midnight Diner, Shinya Shokodo. And I didn't realize that Netflix, when they took over the series, they took over the whole thing. 
the original network that showed it, I think it was MBS, I don't know if they have the rights to show the most recent two seasons. I think it was strictly placed on Netflix only. And so maybe Netflix is one of those things. They keep things going. And maybe, well, who knows? Netflix, let's see what Netflix has to say about, oh, another title we like to talk about a lot, Terrace House. Yeah, but Netflix has that type of power these days. Can I say one more quick thing, actually? Go ahead. They do mention the CGI stuff in this article, and it just reminds me of how they really should use more studios to do better CGI titles. Like, I'm sorry, the Polygon picture stuff is not very good. Because there's a line where he says that, you know, a lot of American fans knee-jerk hate CGI, and Polygon Pictures is one of the reasons why. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's take the break. When we return, not really a bullet segment, but we do have a variety of topics to talk about in brief. Big week for the video game industry. We'll talk a bit about that. And... Maybe a little bit on the anime company front, especially with the wind down of a service that caught my attention, which I hadn't heard about until this week. And then we'll also talk about a recommendation for you guys to check out in the coming week. That's when the Anime Roundtable continues. My nephew, like the Power Rangers, and I did this on his birthday where he had all his friends around. They were like, Green Ranger? I said, let me show you the real Sentai. I'm going to show you the episode where Green Ranger actually died. And they were sitting there looking. A couple kids started crying like, no, Green Ranger can't be daddy. And the parents were like, what are you showing our kids? The Anime World Order Podcast. Not suitable for children because the truth hurts. Visit us online at www.animeworldorder.com. The podcast now continues. Nicholas Austin Ng, continuing the conversation with you in front of a virtual audience. Thanks for listening. And online via the Six Talk Podcast Network, official podcast, Anime North. As I said before we went to break, this segment, we're going to talk about a smorgasbord of stuff. Not really a bullet segment, though. I wouldn't call it that. But I could foresee this going a bunch of different ways. James, you alerted me earlier about Seven Seas rebranding their light novel division under a new name. I wouldn't say division. I'd just say they decided just to add a new imprint because they had Seven Seas for the longest time. They'd done light novels. They actually had a line for their Yuri manga and stuff like that when they originally did started doing Yuri, which was the strawberry line, but they dropped that. All the Yuri I've seen now, a lot of them are on their main line, which is interesting. 
And then, of course, for their more risque and adult titles, they have them in Goshen. But it's funny about that is Gigant, which is uh, from the creator of Gantz. That's a very mature title, but that is not in Goshen, which is funny. <laughs> really? But, yeah, that's this, funny. Yeah, it's in the regular Seven Seas line for that, which is funny. But Gigant is that a normal. That not that bad. I know, not that bad at all. Even though right. there's a lot of things that, uh, yeah, but I'm sure there's a rating somewhere on there. I'm sure, but sometimes I, it's like on a back cover, right? Like but you anyway, can't get much more dank than Gans. Let's be real here. <laughs> but uh, they did announce, yeah, they expanded a new imprint for uh, the light novels. Instead of just putting light novels at the back with a feather, it's going to be airship. And it kind of ties into what they did with Ghost Ship and what they did with Seven Seas. So instead of that, they have, uh, I'm looking at right now, it's like one of those uh, airships and stuff like that that's going through the sky, similar to their other ones, but in the air. And it basically, looks kind of nice, and it makes sense. Yeah, it's ba- they're basically sticking with a theme. Yeah, I like with that. Their, with their brandings and imprints. I like it. But no, I thought horrible. the interesting thing was 25% of their titles now comprise light novels. And I think about how many light novels you see Yen Press releasing too. And like, it's crazy how far it's expanded as we talked about in 10 years, ever since, as you said, I feel like it's Haruhi that really spurred some of that on too. You know what I mean? And more of them getting turned into animes. Yeah. I mean, that's the takeaway I got from that announcement it's and then maybe i guess some of it is e-readers too i guess because we talk about j novel club and they release a lot digitally too and they release chapters digitally so that's another interesting factor i feel like so there's less barrier to entry too right so you don't have to print them and have them stored somewhere like novels have become a thing i think that's the realization and coming back to our ongoing discussions about tastes of fans, especially outside of Japan. This is sort of another way the fandom has evolved over the past decade. Like we, when we talked about Sony and their adjusted strategies, we went with the realization that their original customer base was once younger and then they're older and now they have families of their own (laughs) and they want to get them addicted too and maybe that's what's happened here The 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 manga crowd has shifted a little i don't really know by how much but they've gained a taste to read a little bit more long form leisurely i know i get it the there is little nuances concerning the light novel genre i guess the light novel business that makes it unique concern when it compares to novels as we know them here in the west get back to me i I, maybe that's another discussion i suppose because sometimes that's lost on me i guess the other thing too you think about mike is that Way back when, for us, uh, when we were beginning the journey, it's like a lot of the times, for at least the anime side to remember, you needed that dub 
along with the sub and stuff like that to make your product sellable. And now that we've grown so much as a, a community in North America and other places, you don't need a dub to succeed. There are more subtitle only releases that we've seen in the last 10 years, which is nice too, to ex like expand and give people some new products to look at that they may not have gotten otherwise. And I think about how Emma and Aria started out that way, even though now they're getting dubs and stuff like that. And I'm thinking about Bartender coming out and their shows that are for a smaller audience, but at least they can get out somehow and they can reach people, even though they're sub only. And that used to not be the case all the time. You'd want that dub along with it. Two things with that, though. It's services looking for material especially if it's a streaming service, because everybody's looking for content. And that's true now too. Yeah, no, of course. Yep. Conversely that's though, conversely, my observation over the, as I've returned, is English actors have their own cult of personality too. In some ways, that game has taken on a, a degree of importance as well. The English dubs. Yeah, no, they've evolved too. It's been an interesting journey. And as you said, yeah, that cult of personality and they've gained their own fan bases online and on Twitter and at conventions, right? Mm -hmm. For better or worse. Oh, yeah. We don't have to go that to that part of the story because everyone else has and we have uh, at some point. But that's there. So maybe it's a reflection of all of this. And then coming back to the whole e-readers thing, because as you know, James, and when we had that conversation with Fred Schott, you know that I have my own set of e-readers as well, having a Kindle and having some fascination with the Kobo also, or and e-ink in general as an entry point. Those, just like every other device, whether it's a phone, an iPad, a computer, a watch, you like to accessorize them, personalize them. And funny enough, I was on sites like Etsy and AliExpress over the last week just to check out, well, accessories for my phone for starters. We talked about my iPhone last episode. But just on a lark, I decided to look at sleeves and covers because I have a first generation or first edition of the Kindle Paperwhite sitting to my left here. And those have different looks, different designs, covers, foldable covers, or the origami covers that Moshi is famous for for iPads. So those are very much fashion accessories too. And I, I know that I know that e-readers is a bit more popular among female crowds. So don't think there isn't a market for that. But but you said as a, as a, as you mentioned a point of entry, and I use my digital devices to take out library books too. So there's a so there's easier points of entry. They're all relevant, and yes. The, those things were worth mentioning. And I guess the real question is how many manga, books, light novels can you actually fit in your carry-on luggage if you actually were able to get on a plane? 
See, that's the funny part, right? Those are big files. I will tell you now that the first generation Paperwhite, I think it was only at most two two gigs. That's not much. Yeah, there was those two. Yeah, because something like Kimmerer Orange Road, and I do have the, I do know this because I have a digital version of it, of course. A volume of that is easily a couple, a, a couple hundred megs. Could be as much as five hundred megs, because of all the visuals. That that would quit quickly fill up a fill up an e-reader at least most e-readers kindle and i think kobo have an awareness of that so they've increased their capacities i think we're talking closer to 16s and 32s now with their capacities on their e-readers and of course those those numbers are child's play really for a lot of tablets which is predominantly how i ended up reading kimigoro and Drode as I, as mentioned last time but our consumption is evolving like like we talk about you know dvds being dvds and disc media and physical media becoming more and more passe books don't think it'll ever get there but there's alternatives as well but the way we consume things are is changing by well rather constantly which brings up another little ditty that uh, caught my attention that you brought to my attention, I think, Kevin. Media Blasters. They had an on-demand sir, uh, a DVD factory on-demand service. I didn't know this. Yeah, that that's been going on too. for many, many, many years. And so I knew they were still doing that. But for some reason, I thought they had already shut that down or stop that because a lot of companies said just no one's buying discs for dvds for people so that's why a lot of them have just stopped and the blu-rays have gone so cheap right and they even mentioned that too because they're transitioning and they've been talking about re-releasing some of their catalog on blu-ray Kevin, yeah honestly that was news to me too i completely forgot that they did that <laughs> i didn't know that that even existed and they said because of accusations that some of it looks skivvy, sort of. Well, the quality isn't exactly great from what I've heard from some people, and they've made mention of that before. I think some people were like, Media Blasters is still alive, and that happens every time I see a story about it, uh, Media Blasters and John Cerebella, but he's still trucking it's pretty, along. It's pretty on brand for Media Blasters. And he's basically using his Facebook page. So if you want news on Media Blasters, go to their Facebook page. And they've been talking about all their titles that they still have, I guess, a license for that they're trying to get onto Blu-ray. They've talked about Girls High. They've talked about some other ones, too. Oh, yeah. Well, and some kitty stuff, I believe, I believe, as well. And I, I, believe on I believe on Twitter, the Media Blasters Twitter account is him, too. Like, that's John, if I'm not mistaken. Because most of the news I've seen is on Facebook at the <laughs> Sounds like it's a one-man operation. Yeah. I think he's running he, in New Jersey like, now because he was in New York City at one yes. point. I can't. Well, rent's gone but up. He sold, he, he sold Kitty to Faku, didn't he? I'm not sure what part of it he sold to them. If it like, but yeah, he sold some portion of it. I feel, and I'm not sure what portion because. They're the ones doing those physical releases, I think. So I'm not sure how exactly that worked out. Hmm. 
Yeah, not a lot of not a lot of hentai. I'm sure if it was yeah, just streaming days. or if it was the brand to some degree, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we, no, we, they, so I'm just quickly checking the NN article. Uh, yeah, Faku owns it outright. What the kitty brand? Yeah, or the kitty con- the kitty content, whatever they had. So that they're the ones doing the physical release of those? Because they hey, usually me, do their announcements for the non-stuff. Send me the well, link. What was okay. the last thing Kitty put out that other than like Kanojo, Kanojo, Kanojo? There was some Blu-rays I feel they have tried they've thrown out there and stuff like that. But like what? Because like probably that show was the last like new H anime that I recall having come out in the last like three years because acquiring hentai for license has seems like it's almost impossible nowadays. I'm just going to go and find it while we talk about other things for you there, Kevin. It's just weird to talk about media blasters now because we put it in the same breath as something like Sentai. Well, they're, I think below Sentai. If you yeah. We, we constantly, we constantly like, I, I wouldn't call it, make fun of them. We constantly pity Sentai, I guess. But, but they're they're not, not, uh, out of the hard. old companies that are still kicking, they're not the ones that are the worst off. So if you go, Kevin, to write stuff, you'll see and go under Kitty, you'll see their thing. So they did a lot of hentai collections of some of the old stuff they released on Blu-ray. And then just recently, they've been releasing some New, uh, I'm not sure if it's newer, older stuff or things they've relicensed, but I can give you a rundown of some of their uh, stuff they've released. They've released Humpbang, Sizzling Siblings, oh, or, God. yep, that's what they're saying. Pure Mellow Love, Mother in Love, Lady Does Butler, and First Love, which is available for pre-order. First all part button. of an ongoing series. Great. Yep, That's and they're all blue. Actually, you know what's even more funny? They got Blu-ray and they got DVD. So I wonder if the DVDs were through that DVD on manufacturer program. That's kind of funny. Ouch. But I don't know. Like I think it may, they're still doing that physical and making those maybe on behalf of Faku. But it was very weird how those were uh, announced. But who knows? <laughs> well. I said, I wouldn't mind knowing the goings on there. Send me the link, okay, Kevin? Okay. The real question is, who is buying physical uh, hentai is the real question. Hmm. Adult males. I thought that that was for the internet. (laughs) Adult males and and younger males with fake IDs. Okay. This is interesting. the same demographic that buys next-gen consoles as well, Kevin? Well, let's yes. go to them in the... Yeah. <laughs> Good segue. Well, I didn't want to quite go there yet. I want to... Let, let, let's... Do you want... Where do you want to go with... Yeah, let's go to the video game portion of the show. Where do you want to go? The consoles? Or companies in trouble? I was thinking probably the next-gen uh, consoles that came out this week. And I can oh. say I got the most next-gen high-tech console ever created on friday what was that i think it was called from a little company called nintendo it's called the game and watch and a game you may have never oh, heard, of, never heard of 
Super Mario Brothers. Oh, yes. Okay, that you can feel. You can feel. You can feel oh, the graphical prowess in my hand, and it tells the time. Can your video game tell it. the time? It also has. A, does it have a kickstand? From does it does it have away. a kickstand, and you can use it as an alarm clock too? So there's the one funny thing, Mike. It does not have a kickstand, and people <laughs> joked about that. It does not have a kickstand, but it's funny. The packaging. Is reimagined and is just like you would have bought a game and watch way back when. So they had so a plastic styrofoam. sleeve and they had like styrofoam. Uh no, it was cardboard. Yeah. But yeah. see, I'll tell. See, the thing is, I've long lost my my game and watches. We when we used to go to the Philippines when I was a kid, on the way back, and this is my only visit to Japan. We'd stop over in Tokyo at Narita. And we always went to the little shops there, and my father ended up buying a couple Game & Watches. Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., dual-screen version, and a single-screen versions of those. Okay, so they had no real versions. treats, and my only real regret is they're, well, long broken, long gone. And there were so much now, it's kind of crazy. Those well, yeah, but, they're, but the, and what can you do? Can't win them all, right? Yeah, they would be worth a lot a lot if God we could find them now. Mm -hmm. I think I ended up giving them to on a return visit to the Philippines, I ended up giving it to kids in my mom's home village. So So it went to a good home, which is all that matters, right? That's what I cared about at the time. Can't win them all, you know. Besides, the only way they become valuable is because people end up losing them, I suppose. Or because you just can't buy them because it was a funny experience as I told it's... you of trying to buy a game and watch in Canada. Everyone everywhere else had pre-orders. Canada was like a ghost town till the day of. It's like did they ship any of them at all? Like and this is coming back to the Super Mario one, right? Correct, yeah. It's like it looks interesting cuz obviously they they replicated the in the original game onto well, really it was just liquid liquid screens. Yeah, so you have Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers Lost Levels, and you have uh, a Mario version of Ball. So those are the three games on there. Oh, but on one unit. That's pretty Correct. Cool. That's actually kind of cool in, in its own way. Like, 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 it is the 35th anniversary, I guess. And the 40th anniversary of Game & Watch, so it's kind of like doing two-in-one. Mm -hmm. So, like, everybody's celebrating a milestone anniversary, I guess. And they got more coming. I know they got Zelda and Metroid, so everyone seems to think they'll have more down the pipeline, I'm sure. Are those next year? Uh, yeah, I believe so, possibly. At least for Zelda, I know. I can't remember Metroid, but it might be there, too. Hmm. But remember, they were all during the 80s, remember? So it's like they came, like, they were hitting all those hits. Those are, like, hits in your friends. It's like, oh, yeah, they're that old. Yeah. So, uh, well, I'll be curious. And it, it kind of comes down the, well, there's been this trend of retro portable as of late. I mean, we can go a bunch of different ways on that. I think, as they when say, the, it was more collectible toys, what a lot more people were thinking of. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I was thinking about the Neo Geos that had been out over the last year or so. Yeah. I've seen and then we had, as I talked to you about before earlier this year, the PC Engine Mini and the uh, Turbo Graphics mm -hmm. Mini. So 
So they, yeah, one, well, one you can plug into TV and then just strict handhelds too. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we're waiting for the Game Boy one, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the funniest thing about this, Mike, is so you have everything there, but the funniest thing is how you recharge this. And they were joking about because of iPhone and what do you recharge this with? But it's USB-C. Oh, okay. And that's the thing everyone was laughing about. <laughs> well, it's better than the watch batteries. Oh, man. So it would drain a watch battery pretty quickly. Yeah, well, you're not going to be getting at that battery, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, okay, so there's that type of console. And then, of course, there's the other ones that seem to be more the talk, the Xbox Series X and S and the two variants of the PlayStation 5. Those were the, those have been the talk this week. But there's only one of those you can vape. Oh, oh that yes. Oh, you had to mention that. Well, you heard that they didn't think they had to make a tweet about, but Microsoft had to make a tweet. That poor person. Yeah. Whoever was in their social media team. Well, it's, it, they're they're interesting because Microsoft congratulated. Sony on the on their launch too. Like there there seems to be a I wouldn't say a love-in, but at least Microsoft doesn't seem to like to get on Sony's case. I don't know how Sony feels about it. I don't know if Sony's ever acknowledged that. I think I think they do because Nintendo uh, congratulated them both on their launches and I know there were some congratulations on the Switch and I think the same happened when mm-hmm. Xbox There's- One and PS4 happened as well. I think it's more the 90s when they were really aggressive on the marketing, aggressive with each other, and that's kind of changed because it's like it, it's a zero-sum game when you do that in my mind. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Like nobody benefits. Yeah, but then sense. you still get the odd jabs, though, like when well, Sony they're, they're puts less... that quick out of how do you less... about how you share games and you hand one game to the other person. Oh. When, uh, but I think it's a less when Microsoft was threatening to thing. not allow game sharing. Ah, mm-hmm. well, it's not as like it's more playful and vicious, I guess. Okay, is there anything to really mention about both systems in the version one era back in two thousand six when we first started? That very those first couple episodes, especially when we came back after the initial three episodes we did back then in 2006, James. We came back in that fall, and that fall was the release of Xbox 360 and PS3. They came out, they came out that, at that point, and then just a bit later came out the Nintendo Wii. I think it was the Wii and the... PS3 came out the same year, and then it was the year before that it was the Xbox 360, because remember, they had the head, the year head jump, okay. and that helped them remember. I'm trying to, like, it's all a blur, obviously. But it was, like, 2006 was uh, 360, so means- and not 2007 was Wii and PS3 in the fall. Okay, I thought I thought it was 2006. But yeah, that was the one where they had the year head start and stuff like that, and even though it helped them in the North American market and a few things. The thing that killed them was the red ring of death. Oh, that, yeah. that's That was some meme in, in and of itself. 
but that still can happen in general oh, with any launch console and stuff like that. You could be playing with fire sometimes. You know what I mean? That's why I wait for the mid-system refresh. Yeah, that's the thing. I, it doesn't interest me at this point. By my I own think- admission, like I've made the mistake of buying a PS3 and a PS4 because I'm more of the PlayStation type guy. And I bought that just before the, <laughs> just before the mid-cycle refresh. So I bought like the last versions of the original form factor. I feel like it's different than the last time though too, Mike, for Microsoft and Sony because last time our dollar was at par. So a lot of people bought them because they knew the dollar was going to go down again, stuff like that. So they wanted to get those savings based on that. And now the prices are kind of like it was back for PS3 and Xbox 360. Well, more PS3. His PS3, remember, was pretty expensive when it came out here. And oh, yeah. these two here with the dollar, as we've talked about before, it's, it definitely puts a hurting on the wallet and stuff like that. Yeah. So, Especially if you want your disc. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that seems to be the debate. Digital or you get the disc versions. And obviously that's the key difference between both variants. And we never really asked that question before of any other launch. This is really the first time where they're really headstrong saying, okay, you have a choice. You can either get all digital version or you can get one with the disc as per normal and stuff like yeah. that. I guess, I guess so it'll be interesting to see how it goes because we've seen these digital libraries just grow so much, right? So mm-hmm. with PSN and uh, Xbox Live Arcade or whatever they're calling it now. Yes, and Kevin, you hinted this one to me. Mm-hmm. Stores really aren't into selling the digital versions, are they? From what I can tell yet, I know that there's uh, not a lot of digital versions being released by retailers such as EB Games or Best Buy who because those companies do depend on you going into the store and buying product. So, especially for EB Games, they would be more incentivized to sell the versions of these consoles with a disk drive. That way you can come in and buy the games physically or order them mm-hmm. online physically. What's in it for them otherwise, right? I mean, the publishers, they don't care. Like, nope. Yeah, I get it. I mean, for the three of us, I'm, I, I think it's safe to say all three of us, if, if given the choice, probably are into the disc version for various reasons, I suppose. Some of us are just too old fashioned and old school that way. And some of us have libraries of PS4 games that we like to play on the new system still, and we still have the discs. Others are collectors. Others like that certainty, because we had that talk last episode about about, uh, DMR and 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 what could happen with digital rights when they get into that murky area. Yeah, DRM's a big thing. DRM. I mean, DRM, that's, I get it. So, but 
I guess I, I just, for, for myself, I still got Yakuza to play. And that doesn't need a PS5 right now. Maybe it'll look nicer. It'll play better. Like they said, like the frame rates and the loading and everything of old PS4 games, like it's incredible. It is very fast. It's very sleek. You're getting consistent 60 frames per second, stuff like that for a lot of games. And yes, there's but... some that don't play, but none that I've seen that we would be playing. And there's some where they said they have a message where you may experience problems, but no one has seen where those problems occur, if at all, or what they're talking about because they've been fine, but you never mm-hmm. know, right? Right. Maybe I mean, a small the... thing later in the game that you do sign, right? On the topic here... And I think it's, I think uh, it's for now exclusive to just Xbox S and X. The latest Yakuza game, like a Dragon, is ex- is right now just exclusive to in terms of the next gen systems, just the Xboxes. I don't think there's a PS5 version for a little while. You can still get them on PS4. My memory serves me right. Somebody can correct me. Yeah, that's correct. It's funny, though, because that Xbox Series X version, they were going to get it out in Japan for launch, but they weren't able to make that. So it's going to be coming out later in Japan, which is interesting. Yeah, I found that games since They can't sell anything there. And people are still surprised in that market. They're like, why isn't Microsoft giving up? Like they've tried everything and they just can't even sell a single one. Ah, good segue. And since we're talking about Yakuza, let's talk about their the company behind it. Let's talk Sega for a couple minutes, because Sega's had a rough couple weeks, have they not? They closed their last arcade, or their last major arcade in Akihabara. Even though it's not related to Sega, we talked about Palladium a couple week, a month or so ago. But and that part of Sega this, is a separate version or a separate I know, I know, part I, I, of Sega. I know, that's, that's, that, that's not really related, but it's still kind of nostalgic. And then we're hearing Sega sold off their all their, their entire arcade business. This, and it's not, it's not getting any better. They're inc- trying to encourage, encourage employees to take early retirement or otherwise resign. And within all of those rumors, or within all of that, is this prevailing thinking? Microsoft is not done buying other companies, other game houses, other game oh, production oh, companies. Oh, I don't think I know that's, that's going to happen. Maybe that's a stretch. Maybe that's a stretch. That this rumor like, has like, been uh, going uh, on for over a decade, Mike. Ever since they started releasing stuff like Shemu Two and some other ones on the original xbox and stuff like that and when they just and that was like they've been third party for a bit and they've been releasing and i've been Mm -hmm. hearing that rumor since then so over a decade i know it's the fear among yakuza fans because yakuza was a mainstay on playstation systems is that microsoft will buy them out and obviously then the exclusivity card could come into play so there's a fear there And, and of course they made that deal to get like a dragon for a little bit exclusive on their next-gen consoles. It still baffles me how they can't release that in Japan right now. That is probably the bigger story, right? Well, you may have answered part of the question, 
Like, what how the hell happened? Care? How many would, well, how many would really care? Well, they care because they want the next gen. But it's not, how big is Xbox in Japan? How big is the Xbox brand in Japan? <laughs> uh, not very big. So in, in one sense, it's not a real loss. But then, then you have Sony, Sony PlayStation people who are looking for that for their fives. I don't you think it it'll be as big because people have been talking in Japan and the Switch is still selling very, very strong. So it'll be a while before next gen overtakes them in terms of sales. So, well, yeah, we talk about a long play, as we say, for these next gen consoles. So, mm-hmm. and, and remember, with price on the topic of cultures. Culture in Japan is just a little bit different there. It has how are you going to fit that massive thing in your small uh, table or something well, like I, that? There's partly the that. <laughs> there's partly that. And then I'm thinking more of the on-the-go commuter culture that sometimes exists too. That's more prevalent. And that's why, yeah, as in, we said, portable gaming in that, right? And the portable and, nature and, of going back and forth for the Switch. I mean, Switch is quirky and popular probably more for different reasons as it would be here compared to Japan. Like they're po- it's popular. They're both no and Nintendo doesn't care about the bottom line, but the particulars are might be different. And of course I expect to be corrected. So I wouldn't mind knowing. I don't know. Is there anything really uh, anything worth worth mentioning concerning Sega's problems, or it's or once again, is it cyclical and they'll just time will just heal I, it because they'll they'll come out with other stuff. I think it's par for the course and stuff like that, and the game development part I think will continue to truck along because they've still had the mainstays to keep them going, and then I mean, they bought Atlas, and Atlas has been doing. Well, with Persona 5 and stuff like that, and they are working on the next uh, Shin Megami Tensei 5 that we've been hearing about for so long for the Switch. And then they had the remaster of um, Nocturne that just came out in Japan, and that's out next spring here. Yes. And, of course, they have Sonic. We forgot to mention Sonic and all this. They have some good properties. So, they're attractive in many different respects and they've built up yakuza again with the help of atlas so there's definitely been good things and so they still have a lot to work with hey james Mm -hmm. what was the last new ip that sega made to tell you the truth i would not know off the top of my head and there's the issue i i could jokingly say Sonic and Mario at the Olympics, but <laughs> where's a bucket so I can go puke in it? Well, oh. Yakuza is part of that too, right? And the other thing too for them is they have been working on their PC outreach too for Sega. So there's that part they're growing, and that's Sega of Europe that spearheaded the PC um, releases for their titles for Sega and now including Atlas, because Atlas released Persona 4 Golden, and I think they'll try to get other ones from them on there, too. Okay. Uh, I I know, like, I just don't rem- yeah, like, I don't remember the last time they put out a new IP, like, 
Hmm. I feel like they've been pretty stagnant in that regard. Like, See, was it Shenmue? No, it was not Shenmue, trust me. <laughs> I need to tell you, I think Feel the yeah, Magic that came out after Shenmue, and that was the DS title. And there was mm-hmm. some other ones after that. See, you had me thinking, though, when we talked about Sega's troubles. Remember, their turning point also, a key turning point for them was nearly 20 years ago when they got out of making the hardware when they got out of the console making business and they just became only a publisher. And we thought at the time it sounded like it sucked, but it may have been a fair move, a shrewd move because they were just focusing on what had become their strengths at that point. They had the ability to make good games, if not great hardware. And they've held up. And Although, the question is, it's an arms race, as we know, and think about you had Sony and Microsoft, and think of that amount of my and that amount of technical prowess. Like Nintendo has survived because they try to do things differently and then went the start of the Wii, they're like, okay, we're going the blue ocean. And we're not going to be the most powerful kid on the block, but we're going to deliver you a fun experience. And they've always met that goal a lot of the time. They give you a fun end experience to play a game. 100%. 100%. And as we all know, Nintendo has tons of IP to fall back upon to put out content. Some ways... Like Sega, in, in its own way, they have some good pieces as well. I, I, there's a fear, obviously. You have a fear of that. You know, it. Don't. Sorry, finish your thought. Go ahead. Like, what's your fear? Like, I, I'm thinking that's not some bad IP to have, Sega. But there's a concern. What's I just yours? feel like I. So, I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of like what's happening in the movie industry at at various points where people are scared that if they put out something new, that it just won't do well. So then they want to just fall back and release stuff that's safe. And what's safe? Things that have already come out in the past that have done well, franchise-wise. Like, I look at Microsoft, and... I feel like during the Xbox One era, like, I can't think of, I actually can't think of, like, any new IP that Microsoft put out during that time. And in terms of existing IP, it seemed like... Uh, I was going to say there was uh, Sea of Thieves. Oh, that okay. thing still exists? Okay. <laughs> yeah, they, it actually did get better. Rare really buckled down. It was kind of similar to the Halo collection where they buckled down actually made the game way better after launch. But because yeah, you I have that first the experience, yeah. right? Once you have that bad first experience, it puts a bad taste in your mouth. But they gain people back. But that's why they went on that binge of buying all those studios because there wasn't exactly. really any first-party software on Microsoft. And that's, that's what, what I went on to bring up for this one. That's mm-hmm. what I was going to bring up where I feel like they couldn't create good IP. So they had to just buy up IP. A halo aside, right? 
Well, no, okay, well, that's what I was, that was part of my point where when it comes to their existing IP, they didn't make a lot of good non-Forza games during the yeah. Xbox One era. Like, the Forza games were overall pretty good, but, like, not a lot of good Halo games. Uh, the Gears games were questionable as well during that time. Like, uh... It was sad because Microsoft bought out Rare at a point, too. So they ended up with other games. Like, they ended up with Perfect Dark, I think, through that. Yes. Correct. And, in- and Killer Instinct, too, I think. And yeah. those came out, remember, uh, they launched... Well, Killer Instinct was on Xbox One, but they did the Perfect Dark Zero as a launch game, remember, for uh, 360 and that. So they brought back some of the IP, but then they went different directions. And those were games, and those were popular and or- originally. A new Banjo-Kazooie game would have been nice. It's <laughs> kind of funny because you play, play Rare Replay and you're like, wow, they had all these great games. And it's like, where have they been? And it's like ever since Microsoft took them over, they've had a few things that are interesting, but overall it's just kind of been meh. Maybe that's, and I guess that's part of the fear that with them buying up. Well, it was funny because the Stamper Brothers that were the original owners, like, they had sold a bit to Nintendo, and then when they decide, okay, we're going to cash out, they kind of played Microsoft and Nintendo off of each other. And I can't remember if Yamauchi was still there. I think it was his last few years, but he's like, not going to pay up. And so they sold uh, to Microsoft. <laughs> and so they had to sell their part to Microsoft, too, for uh, Nintendo. So that's how they made their money there. And the Stampers made their money, stayed on for a bit, and then they left. But a lot of those people that made the games in the N64 days, they stayed for a bit, but then they were gone after because they said the culture just kind of changed after a few years because Microsoft brought in their own people, so to speak. Okay. Or as they say, the suits came in. Uh, well, I guess the, I guess the, this game of buy-ups and musical chairs and all that stuff will continue. And you know, good luck getting a console, I guess. I guess I'll wait for the mid... As I said, I'm waiting for the mid-cycle refresh. Not, not, I just don't feel like making that mistake again. Come and on, new Switch. Here. Come on, new Switch. See, the, thing, <laughs> the thing is, I think that if... Say you were like some of us, Mike, that just have the base PS4, then getting that PS5 and waiting for the right bundle in a year or two doesn't sound that bad. But you never know when that refresh is going to come for the mid-cycle and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just mercifully, my video game playing is, it's come back to uh, some degree over the last pandemic. But it's, can't really call myself a gamer. And they're still, still releasing uh, games for the PS4 and Xbox One for the original consoles and stuff like that. And it sounds like, at least on the Sony side, they're still promoting the PS4 because it's still got strong legs to sell it in other places too because of its price point and stuff like that. So, so maybe there's a little bit to go. I have one more nostalgic point, and I'll bring that up in a, towards the end, of course. One more thing on the video game front, though. And this is not totally related, but maybe worth a bring up just for a second. You heard what happened in Montreal yesterday? 
Oh, the yeah. Ubisoft studio? Wasn't oh, that a hoax or something? Like yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, for God's sakes. That is a... That's a sad... Almost... And scary thing. Because swatting... If you didn't hear about it, there was a, a police situation at the Ubisoft Montreal offices on Friday, yesterday. It was said to be a, a hostage situation, and employees were actually evacuated all the way to the rooftops. But after some hours, and we're talking hours, it turned out to be a hoax. What the hell? Well, you remember what they've been going through with their personnel and that, and so someone went and decided they were going to bring, bring, I don't know what you'd call it, bring that righteous uh, indignation or vengeance to them. I don't know, but it, it was uh, just silliness. What it's it was. silly. And you had me curious about the what the possible background of that story could be. but Well, it's because of some of the um, personnel at, Ubisoft Toronto, Montreal, and even some of the ones at Ubisoft uh, in France, that some of them, uh, their treatment towards some colleagues and to women was not exactly professional. Let's put it that way. It was yeah. more on the sexual harassment uh, angle. Ah, well. And the sexism angle as well. But they definitely did some investigations, and certain people, creative directors, were let go in Toronto, right. that, that, Montreal, that and. France. Actually, I forgot about that part of the story. Thanks. But, wow. That's all I could say. Okay, we're almost done. I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's not a digest, right, Mike? Because you said no. we were doing a digest. Well, I, I, and I introduced it as a regular episode. We, we introduced the segment as a bullet segment, <laughs> but... It, well, we, we stopped short of calling it a bullet segment, and that's exactly how it turned out. Okay. I guess before we end tonight, upcoming on the calendars or anything, is there something you're looking forward to in the next week or so while we're in between taping episodes? Anything to point out? Conventions, presentations online, etc. Is there something you're looking forward to? Yeah, there's a Anime NYC is doing a con next week as of this recording, but that actually will be like throughout the week, so to speak. Like, it, I think it starts on like, starts like a midweek, they, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, November 17th. They like the 17th. Yeah. I'll check it out, I guess, during work. Yep. I can't say I took a, I take a, took a look at the schedule. So, neither have I. But the real thing that I was thinking about attending, so to speak, was the MA concert live stream which is happening at the end of the month. But uh, it would be at around 6 to 6.30 a.m. our time Give me a link. on a Friday. Give me a link. We can put that I don't up. Know if I, can, I don't know if I can be up for that. But give me a link anyway. Because <laughs> I, I love Amy. She's one of my favorite singers. Okay. As I so said, give me a link. Like, seriously, I will do. I'm seriously debating that. Okay. James. I guess I was thinking about, yeah, NY, Anime NYC, I know I was talking about their thing, and it's for a few days, but I also know that uh, Anime Limited 
is doing another Cloud Matsuri uh, on uh, November 21st and 22nd. And that should be interesting. And they said this time it won't be region locked. And like we had last time when we <laughs> talked yes. about that. This time they said that except for Asia, everywhere else should be good, hopefully. Yes. So they'll region lock Asia, <laughs> but they won't region lock the rest of the world, hopefully. But that'll be uh-huh. through uh, their YouTube channel. And it's not like that. Some interesting things. There was one um, documentary uh, about them creating, I guess, the Blu-ray version uh, for the UK for Cyber City. And that has Justin Savakis and some of the guys from Anim- Anime Limited. So that sounds interesting. And I'm sure they'll have some other interesting panels there to uh, throw out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But other than that, the other thing I told you guys about that would be interesting if people do want to check out an interesting game that has some very traditional Japanese flavor is uh, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, which is on PS4, Switch, and PC. I'm going to play it on uh, Switch hopefully this week. And that's a fun uh, game from... uh, I'm not sure if I can still call them indie or not, even though it's still the same two people working uh, on that company, which is Edelweiss. And this game took them five years to make, but uh, they started out at Comic at making Dojin games and stuff like that. And it's just incredible that they're making this and they had the help of Marvelous uh, Japan and Marvelous uh, in Europe and, of course, US, which is Xseed, helped them uh, bring this out here too and make a smaller game even bigger. But it's 2D action, you're collecting some of the stuff, but then you have this simulation element of yourself growing the rice, which is kind of crazy. And they <laughs> went in depth on it. That's good then. Oh, I'm gonna call me curious. And here I am just playing a little bit of Fruit Ninja 2. I placed this in the Twitter feed earlier in the week, but the Japan Foundation in New York is gonna be doing a special presentation on it's thursday thursday november 19th at 8 p.m they're going to be doing a cultural event a panel discussion about the influence and power of music in anime this is actually the third in a series the japan foundation in new york has been doing they've been doing this monthly they did a presentation about just why why do we study anime and manga in an academic sense and then And then they did a discussion about identity in things like Ghost in the Shell and and Eva. This is their third in that series. And we'll put a link to the music one that will happen on Thursday. And then if you look at that link and go to the bottom of it, the page will have links to the other two presentations that have already happened uh, in the series via YouTube. But... This one on Thursday will be mainly about music, and I'm just going through this now. Yoko Kano's name already comes up. She's not presenting, though. Three academics, though, will be. And we're all about the academic discussions of anime and manga. That's always been things we've taken fascination in trying to see and observe. Dates all the way back into the version one era, and... Of course, we've talked about it a little bit on and off here, especially when we talk about little YouTube presentations, talking with Fred Schott, talking about Pure Invention, Matt Alt's latest book. So this, uh, you can add to the pile. And 
I've signed up for it. Hopefully I'll be able to check it out. And failing that, check it out on YouTube. So once again, it'll be on Thursday, November 19th. Uh, Kevin, one last thing. Do you have a thought? You said you wanted to bring up something before oh, we go tonight. Uh, I was just thinking that I've, because there was a bunch of manga and light novels that got licensed over the last several days, I just wanted to point out some of the titles that caught my attention. One of them is by Kodansha, and it's called Boys Run the Riot, and it's about a transgender boy who meets another person who he also looks for the same kinds of clothes that he does, and then they want to create their own brand and that sounds really fascinating to me. Well, there's some relevance to these days. Definitely. Why not? It sounds like a story. It sounds like it would make an interesting story. Yeah, like, I've, I've been trying to find a new series for me to actually buy upon release. Because I don't tend to buy a lot of stuff as it comes out anymore. I usually wait for the sale and I kind of miss doing that, but there really it really needs to be a compelling title for me to do that with. Like the last hey. time I recalled yeah, the last time I recalled doing that was for like the Drops of God and like Gundam the Origin, but this one this one's really intriguing. Also, uh Yen Press announced that they're going to put out the Children Who Chase Lost Voices plus five centimeters per second into one novel. So I think it's wow. both will be in one book from the looks of it. And that'll probably be, I guess, in April, given how they've been doing things. I think that might be the last one of the Makoto Shinkai novels they have to release because they've basically been releasing them all over the course of a year. Yeah. I haven't actually bought any of those, to be honest. I only did, I only ever did buy the five centimeters manga, <laughs> which is definitely worth the purchase because it does expand on that story. A yes, fair it, does. Bit. it does. I have that too. And coincidentally, on that note of Makoto Shinkai, the Weathering with You special edition comes out this week too. I think on Tuesday. Or is it well certainly in the coming week? And yeah, then, it's Tuesday basically is the official date, and then depending on where you I got it, it, it may come later or it may come I, on I the day. I fully admit I'll have to get my order in for that because uh I have I have your name as well in, in the same form. And I enjoyed I enjoyed weathering with you too. So maybe I'll uh put down for that. It's kind of my, funny my, with my meager savings. Sorry. Last thought. It's funny you mentioned Makoto Shinkai. We mentioned him again. And I was watching a video in relation to um, the history of Falcom. It was a newer video because they had released Tales, the fourth game in North America and Europe uh, a few weeks ago. But I forgot in the history of Falcom that uh, Makoto Shinkai worked for them and that the uh, little 
image of Falcom like that comes before their video games for the past at least two decades was created by him. Hmm. Hmm. So that animation of the Falcom logo or whatever you want to call it coming up for the past 20 years, it was created by him. And I forgot that he worked at um, Falcom altogether. And he was actually hired along with Kondo, who is their uh, current president. Wow. There's a nostalgic note. I yeah. do have one. I did say I had one nostalgic note, and I'll give it right now to, as we end off. Uh, a show that I used to watch during the purgatory years was G4's news, news program, or quasi-news program, Attack of the Show, which ran for some years, but it ended you know, around the time that uh, I was watching it. It ended in early 2013. To put that into perspective, the generation of consoles that are now outgoing, the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4, they came out at the end of 2013. That's how long it's been. And I know that that was a popular show back in the day for G4. And it's a reflecting back on it because not too long after that show ended, G4, as a television station, went off the air. It was known as like one of the more popular places to go for tech news and video game news. Because it was also one of the other flagship programs on that station was X-Play, which was a video game news show. Just as a quick reflection, there's hints that NBC Universal, which owned the channel, are looking to bring back the G4 brand in the next little bit. Aside from a hint on Twitter, uh, although the belief is that it won't be a linear station, it might be something that they'll offer strictly online, or at best, maybe through their new on-demand service, Peacock. But just a thought, how much time has passed? We're getting old. Slowly but surely. Yeah, slowly but surely. Hopefully we're getting wiser too. Although... That's open to some debate. Maybe Mo will tell us next week. Oh, yeah. And I guess a quick thought to Mo. Remember when we did the last episode, he was ex- we were talking just in the shadow of Sean Connery passing that day. And he predicted that at the very least in between recordings, there'd be another celebrity passing away. And it turned out to be Alex Trebek. Although... Remember, the news of major celebrities passing usually happen either during recordings on, or on the day of recordings, because that's what happened with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's what happened with Chadwick Boseman. Sort of happened with Sean Connery, too. 2020 sucks, doesn't it? More or less. Yeah. You know what's the sad part? What? There's still about a month and a half of it to go. Christmas will be a little different this year. Yeah, I know. Yeah, hey, we got each other, guys, right? Group hug. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, we've said enough tonight. We are going over. I think we are going to two hours here. Just as planned. Way, way to go, guys. And I thought we could keep it short. Anyway, that's all we got for this episode. Once again, if this is the first time you're listening... Please let us know how we're doing. 
Contact information is in the notes or at the beginning of this episode. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable.